Genesis chapter 1. This is God's word. We'll read this. We'll pray. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Let's read it one more time. So familiar. Let's read it one more time. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Let's pray. Our God, we want to invite your Spirit here. We do welcome you, Holy Spirit. And we realize that Holy Spirit is always here. But there are times in our life where we can grieve or quench the Holy Spirit, and we can do that through our sins. We can do that through our bad attitudes or our bad lives or our bad relationships with others within this church or outside the church. So, our God, we take a moment and pause and reflect and confess our sins. Holy Spirit, will you come? Holy Spirit, will you hover, rest, nest in this place? Holy Spirit, will you be our teacher? Will you be our help? Will you be our guide? Will you be the one that comes and transforms lives and transforms hearts and gives direction and speaks deep, deep, deep into our lives? And we ask this in your name and everyone said, Amen. I wonder if we were to do a poll this morning and ask a question. We all love to give opinions, don't we? Um, But your opinion is wanted this morning in a hypothetical setting. What do you think the church needs most? So if that was the question I asked you this morning, how would you answer that question? What do you think, in your opinion, and it's a free-for-all What would you change? What would you think is needed most in the church? Maybe some people would answer it by saying, well, we need better car parking. Better car parking would be good. Maybe some people would say, well, we need a a hipster coffee brew bar at the back. That would be nice whenever I come into church in this morning. Maybe some people would say, well, we need more volunteers. Others would say, we need more evangelism. We need to do more. We need to be more focused in prayer. We need to be more focused in discipleship. We need to be more focused on our people in church and also outside of church. Maybe others would say, no, no, no. We need more tradition in our church. More traditional worship is what this church needs. Some will say we need more liturgy. Others will say no less liturgy. Some will say we need more space to worship. We need louder music more modern music. We need brighter lights. We need a smoke machine in this place. Others would say, no, no, no. Worship should be much more quiet, much more reflective, more old hymns. What about the sermons? Well, I want topical sermons. Give me a good topical sermon, Mark. I want a more Bible-based sermon. I want shorter sermons, much shorter sermons. Who said I'm in there? I guess 
the point I'm trying to make is if we were to ask everyone over our four services today, probably getting something like 700 people through the door, I kind of guess that there would be 700 opinions about what church should be or what they would like. What is the greatest need of the church? Read this quote by David Watson. This is so powerful, so good. The greatest need of today is spiritual renewal. Both individual Christians and whole churches need to be continuously filled with the Spirit. The crisis of the church today is not merely or not primarily doctrinal or moral, serious as they are. Above all, we face a crisis of powerlessness. Nothing less than the power of God can save the church from spiritual death and the world from total destruction. We need more than anything else spiritual renewal. I wonder, do you agree? We need more than anything else spiritual renewal. As a church, we're starting a new series in the mornings called Word and Spirit. Want to look at Word, want to look at at Spirit, and today's sermon is just an introduction to that, kind of to wet our appetites for that as we work through this. And as a church leadership, we believe that both these pillars, these two pillars are such crucial, important pillars for the life, for the health, for the ministry, for the future of our church. We need both word and spirit. I have been in church all of my life. So I'm 38 years old. I've been in church all my life. Not always been a Christian in all that time, but been in church all my life. And I've pastored some churches in my lifetime as well. And I've been in churches that have been word churches or have been spirit churches. They haven't always been word and spirit, and there's a difference. Churches I've been in have been word or spirit, not always word and spirit. And I guess what we would say about word-type churches or the word campus, they are churches that would be, I guess, more conservative traditionally, more traditional in their outlook, and they really emphasize the preaching of God's Word. They want to engage your intellect on really good sermons, really good Word, really emphasize that. And here's the thing, that's really, really great. And then you'd have spirit churches, and spirit churches would be those associate more with the charismatic tribes or the Pentecostal tribes, and they want to experience more of the Holy Spirit, more of the signs, more of the wonders, and more of the supernatural. And here's the thing, that's really good and really biblical as well. And here's what I've witnessed from being in both types of camps. Instead of taking the best of the Word and the best of the Spirit and uniting under those things, what we tend to do is divide and split and fight and argue and make our distinctives or make our differences our distinctives. That's what we tend to do. But what if you didn't have to make a choice this morning? What if you could have both word and spirit, not one or the other? What if you could have really great Bible teaching plus really great worship? What if you could have really great Bible teaching sermons to engage your intellect, but also had the space to step into more of what the Holy Spirit has in terms of the more signs and the wonders and those types of gifts. Sam Storm says this, the conflict between the so-called word and spirit camps is not one supported by either God's word or the Holy Spirit. I'm shocked by how often Christians forget 
that it is the written word of God that encourages us to pursue spiritual gifts and commands us never to forbid speaking in tongues. Well, it is the Spirit of God who is responsible by inspiration for every theological truth that the Bible affirms. This division is not one that the Bible would ever endorse. It comes instead from the odd mixture of both fear and caricature. Those in the so-called word camps have taken offense, sometimes for justifiable reasons, at the fanatical extremes of certain charismatics whose ministry style has become untethered from the biblical text. Some who live in the so-called spirit camp have suffered greatly from the cynical and at times judgmental disdain of those who use the Bible as a weapon against anything with which they disagree. Here's my heart, here's my conviction, here's my passion, here's my longing for what I think the church needs. We need both word and spirit, not one or the other, both. The reason I say that is because word and spirit is all the way through the Bible. It doesn't just come along in Acts chapter 2. It is there all throughout the Bible, and it is needed. The likes of John Stott has a really famous phrase where he says, as a body without breath is a corpse, so a church without the Spirit is dead. We need word, and we need the Spirit if we are to be alive. I say, the word and spirit is there the whole way through the Bible. That's why we've read Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, particularly verse 2. Look at it one more time. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. You want some Hebrew? Let's do some Hebrew this morning. Some Hebrew. The Hebrew word for spirit here is ruach. Ruach. Ruach means breath or it means wind. And we can't see breath and we can't see wind, but we can feel it. So maybe if you've brushed your teeth this morning, you could do a little illustration for me. You could turn to the person beside you and you could go, just blow in their face. Go on. <laughs> Try not to spit. <laughs> so you've, you've either felt that might need to wash your face or you've smelt that breath haven't you it's the same with the wind this weekend was a little bit stormy if you stand in the wind you, you feel the force of the wind and we know how powerful the wind is the wind has the power to shake things and to break things and to snap things and to destroy things. But you can also use the energy and harness it to create energy, renewable energy and power, or it can seal a boat. We know that it is power. And we're told here that God's breath is powerful and it is hovering. But when we hear the word hovering, we don't think hovering sounds like a very powerful word, do we? Hovering is what your parent does and that can be annoying. Hovering is what your spouse does and that can be annoying. Hovering is what a school teacher does and we don't always like that type of behavior. But if you think about hovering and you think about the force of this, Think about a helicopter that is hovering over a lake and that downdraft and that force and the wind that that creates. That's powerful if you're standing underneath that, that word hovering. 
So the Spirit of God, the Ruach of God, or the Ruach of Elohim. So that's the Ruach is the Spirit. Elohim is the Old Testament name for God, which means might, which means power, which means supreme one, is powerful. And here's the thing. Whenever we come to Genesis chapter 1, we think that God's Word is the power bit don't we? Because it's the Word of God that speaks and the Word of God that creates. So that's where we think Word is more important than Spirit in this context. We've done a series in John. We've just finished the Gospel, and John chapter 1 tells us that the Word, same word here, is Jesus. So it is Jesus and Jesus' words that speak and Jesus' words that are Power. And we know that Jesus just says a word and it is. He just speaks. I said this last week, recapping the Gospel of John. Jesus doesn't have to go to the DIY store and get some supplies. Jesus doesn't have to order something and wait for prime next day delivery. Jesus just spoke the thing and it was. So Jesus says, ocean and there is an ocean. No waiting, no delay, just there is an ocean. Jesus says ocean, and over 70% of the earth that we are on is covered in water. An ocean so fast, an ocean so diverse that scientists reckon that the life form that is under our ocean, only there's 90% of it still to be discovered. More people have been to the moon than in some places under our ocean. Jesus just has to say the word ocean, and there's an ocean so diverse that there is one place in that 70% of water that covers the earth, which is very cold. There's an iceberg there, and that iceberg contains 20 million gallons of water that if you were to melt down theoretically, you could supply people with enough water for five years. One million people with water for five years. I'm saying all this because God's word is powerful. God in the Old Testament, God in Genesis 1, God throughout the Old Testament, God in the New Testament is powerful, and that is the God that we step into this week with. But that's the word bit. What about the spirit bit? Well, how do you speak? Well, you obviously speak by opening your mouth, but you, you breathe out. That's how, we, that's how we speak. We don't breathe. That sounds weird as I breathe in and try to speak. That is not how we speak. We speak by breathing out. God breathes out, and when God breathes out, he breathes life into things. Like, isn't that what Genesis 2 is all about? As God breathes life into humanity, he creates and he forms Adam and Eve out of the ground. Little clay Adam, little clay Eve, but he breathes life into them by his spirit. The word ruach is used over 400 times in the Old Testament. Its New Testament equivalent, pneuma, is used over 300 times. Word and spirit are all the way through the Bible. In fact, without the spirit, we have no Bible. Isn't that what 2 Timothy 3.16 is all about? God's word is what? God breathes. In fact, without the Spirit, there is no life, no actual life and no physical life and no spir- spiritual life. In Genesis, that word hovering, let's go back to that. It's better translated to nest or to rest. 
And guess what? That word hover is only used four other times in the, New, in the Old Testament. And in one of those times, in Isaiah chapter 31, verse 5, it says this. The Lord of heaven's armies will hover. There's that word. Will hover over Jerusalem and protect it like a bird protecting its nest. It will defend and save the city. He will pass over it and rescue it. So in the Old Testament, whenever we talk about Jerusalem, we're talking about God's people and God will protect his people at all costs. I've never tried to steal a little birdie away from a mummy bird in a nest. I don't suggest you do the same thing. Because all of a sudden, that situation will escalate very, very quickly, and mummy bird will become angry bird, and will do everything in her power to protect, to defend her little nest, her children. God does the same with you and I. How does he do it? Well, he does it through Jesus. That's what the New Testament says. And if you remember at the start of Jesus' ministry, how does it start? It starts with a baptism. Remember what happens at his baptism? Because at his baptism, there's a reference to a bird, there's a reference to a dove, and that same dove comes down and it nests or it rests upon Jesus. So likes of Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, it says this, when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And here's the thing, word and spirit does not finish in the Gospels. Acts chapter two, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. There's that wind word again, all the way back to Genesis chapter one. There's a wind that came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest or hover over each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. On that day, there was word. There was the preaching. There was the teaching of God's word. But there was also the Spirit with its supernatural signs and wonders that came. It matters that we are alive this morning. Where we're sitting, it matters that we are alive. But what really matters is that we are spiritually alive. And the only way that we can be spiritually alive is if God breathes life, spiritual life into us. The only way that we can be alive is through the power of God's word and God's spirit. So we need both. You need both. That is why word and spirit is so important. It's why word and spirit is so important to this church and to the ministries and to the work and to the outreach that we do within this church and outside of this church. Otherwise, maybe we're just doing really impressive stuff. Otherwise, we're just doing really busy stuff. But we need the Holy Spirit to breathe life. I'll say that for me. I could be dead. I could give you the best sermon in the world this morning. Unlikely, but I could, maybe. But I could be so dead inside. So dead. We could run the busiest, best ministries that you've ever seen, that any church has ever seen, but it could be so dead and so empty. We could do the best worship in the world, 
But it could be so dead and it could be so empty unless Holy Spirit is breathing life into that, breathing life into those that lead, breathing life into those that teach, breathing life into those that lead, breathing life into the community of this church, breathing life into the community around this church, breathing life into this city. This is what our society needs. Word and spirit, new life. That's what revival was about. Word and spirit breathing life. I want to end with Sam Storm. Sam Storm is one of my favorite authors in this topic. Some great resources and some great books on word and spirit stuff. But this is um, one of his articles. I'll end with this. Back to that question. What does the church most need? The urgent thing, the, the urgent need of the church in the 21st century is followers of Jesus who are committed to the centrality and functional authority of the Bible. On the one hand, an effective Christ-exalting operation of all spiritual gifts on the other. People who are gospel-centered and delight in speaking in tongues, praying for the sick and prophesying to the edification, encouragement and consolation of other believers. Let's pray.